Good morning, New Life Church. Can I tell you something? I love my mom. I do. And you know why I love my mom? I love my mom because this year she read The Lord of the Rings. And yes, I love her because she gave me life, but The Lord of the Rings, that's over a thousand pages. And she read it because it's my favorite book. And because I made her promise to read it, if I read her favorite book, which is The Mill and the Floss, which I did, and so surely, Mom, I love you for letting me blackmail you into reading The Lord of the Rings, your new favorite book. Happy Mother's Day. Now, after Pastor Rusty's message this morning, we're going to have a little video montage of other New Lifers sharing why they love their moms. So if you're one of those deadbeats who only watches part of our weekly service, just skips to the end or uh, whatever, well, you're going to have to stick around to the bitter end of this service if you want that spoonful of sugar, that video. Now, hopefully you can tell when I'm joking. But which part was I joking about? On to our announcements. This Tuesday, May 12th at 7 p.m., we begin a new online Bible study led by Howard Moore, who will be taking us through the book of Ruth each Tuesday evening. You can head over to newlifestonewall.com or use the church app to get more info and sign up. And in order for us to keep our online study secure, you really do need to sign up ahead of time uh, so that you can get the password for those studies. Now, speaking of online studies, James has uh, senior youth Bible studies going on Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., as well as junior youth Sunday school at 9 a.m. Sundays and senior youth Sunday school uh, Sundays at 7 p.m. If you want to join any of those studies, just email jamesnlc at mymts.net. Man, I love that guy. We're lucky to have him. On Thursday evening of May 21st, Pastor Rusty will be hosting a membership class. As for anyone who's interested in becoming a member of our church, or maybe not interested in becoming a member, but anyone who has an interest in the biblical rationale for becoming a church member, And then 10 days after that, uh, on Sunday morning, May 31st, I am going to be hosting a baptism class, which is for anyone who's interested in in proclaiming their servanthood to Jesus through baptism. That's really what baptism is. Or just anyone who would like to go deeper in understanding why we take this dip in the water in the first place. Now, before you hit pause to give of your tithes and financial offerings, Pastor Rusty asked me to mention that last week, a number of you answered the call and gave $3,500, over $3,500 actually, to feed some desperately poor Christian families in a village in Pakistan. Now, that money, Rusty tells me, will feed 90 families for a whole month. And you should have seen Rusty's face as he shared about that this week. He actually talked about it more than once this week. You could just tell uh, he was proud of you and that uh, it really made his week. Uh, you think about that and it makes you wonder, man, how, how, uh, how those families will feel about uh, you know, being provided for in that way. And, and just think of how God feels about it as well. Well, uh, here's your moment to continue to worship the Lord with your finances uh, by going to the Give tab at newlifestonewall.com. 
So go ahead and press pause and then we'll pray. Let's bow our heads. Father, how beautiful that you teach us through your son Jesus to call you Father, to address you with such a family-oriented word, because family is a gift from you. Fathers are a gift, uh, children are a gift, and today we consider how our mothers are a gift. We know that Mother's Day isn't a holy day, it's really just a hallmark day, but But Father, we're thankful for our mothers and because we want to cherish and honor the gifts that you give to us, we just pray that following our worship and singing, uh, that your Holy Spirit would teach us through Pastor Rusty's teaching. We open our hearts to you, each one of us, uh, to hear from your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, now as we transition into singing, Here are a few more pics of you worshiping at home. Keep sending them in to us. Well, good morning, New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Before we go into a time of worship through singing, um, I just want to give a special welcome and a blessing to all the mothers out there. Happy Mother's Day. And here are some some scripture uh, as words of encouragement. In Proverbs 31, it describes what a godly mother is like. Verse 25, it says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. What encouraging words there. And uh, something that I've been talking with my wife, um, uh, what she considers to be um, joyful as being a mother is is found also in 3 John verse 4. It says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We're so thankful for scripture. Why don't you join us in a few songs together? Jesus, no sweeter name than I ever 
you for who you are. We're so thankful for that. Thank you so much, Lord, for mothers, for all they've done, all the sacrifices they've made for us. Lord, I ask, Lord, that you now be with, uh, with Rusty, and, and uh, thank you so much for, for having, giving him an opportunity to, to teach what you have laid on his heart, and Lord, I ask you to be with him and guide him in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to that experience in your house. I know we certainly can in the Hildebrand home. Might as well have been recorded actually in our house, especially in these last few months as the kids have been home from school and the demands on my wife's time and energy have been pretty much 24-7. I heard of a few young boys that wanted just to pick out a beautiful bouquet of flowers for their mom. And so they went to the florist and found this, this perfect arrangement, which they proudly presented to her. On the front of it, there was a banner that said, rest in peace. And they said, mom, we, we just thought of you. We thought this would be perfect for you because you're always telling us how you could just use a little piece so that you could rest. I know when I ask my wife, hon, and I don't ask her often enough, but hon, what is it I can do for you? How can I help you? The most common answer I get is, Rusty, could you just take those kids somewhere else for a long time so that I can have a rest? Well, happy Mother's Day, moms. Uh, welcome here, New Life Church. Glad you're able to join us this morning on this day when we celebrate motherhood. We celebrate our mothers, and I know a few of you watching your moms for the very first time. 
uh, this Mother's Day, which is really cool, thinking of Kelsey Jansen and Kayleen Reimer, and there's maybe a few others that, that aren't even coming to mind. I also want to congratulate Tim and Jessica Hayduck. Uh, they just welcomed their twin baby girls, April and Alora, into the world two days ago on Friday. Uh, so congratulations, Tim and, and Jessica. We're just really excited for you. And Tim, I can tell you, as, as a father with three girls, you're in for a lot of love, okay? It's, it's a good life. All right, well, if you're joining us for the very first time, or for the first time in a long time, we're so glad you're here. We're in the middle of a series called Burning Questions, where each Sunday we're addressing one of the questions that you have submitted to, to us, uh, a question about God, the Bible, the Christian life, the Christian faith. What I found is that a lot of the questions that you've been submitting are, are questions about what we might call tough texts. You know those verses or sections in the Bible where you read and you go, well, what in the world does that mean? Or, well, how does that fit with what it says over here? And, and there are a few tricky texts in the Bible. We're going to look at one of those this morning, one that actually pertains to motherhood, so I think it fits pretty well. There's a verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the words of Paul uh, writing to Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy is a letter from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor named Timothy who's pastoring in the church in Ephesus. Uh, and you should see the words on the screen here. 1 Timothy 2.15, Paul says, Women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Well, what in the world does that mean? Women will be saved through childbearing. If you've read that verse and not wondered yourself what in the world that means, you, pr you probably weren't really paying attention. But that verse actually sits at the end of a collection of verses addressing women, and we really need to look at that whole. We're gonna do that, but focus most of our time on this verse here. And really, it's a passage that if you've read it, certainly has puzzled many of you, and even maybe been offensive to some of you. We find that in 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't already have your Bible with you, maybe you want to hit pause, go find your Bible, and turn to 1 Timothy 2. We're going to spend our entire time in, in, in uh, those verses. Um, and, and maybe grab a pad of paper and a pen just to take some notes as well. So if you need to grab that, press pause and then come back and continue. All right, open to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 to 15 uh, together. But let's just read it through and then we'll look at it uh, more carefully. 1 Timothy 2, verse, starting at verse 8. Paul says, Therefore I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds, appropriate for women who confess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the, one who, uh, not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Wow. <laughs> some of you, you're maybe going to pop some popcorn because you're really excited to see how Rusty's going to handle and squirm his way through this one. Uh, when I told my wife a few days ago what I was preaching on, she just said, okay, good luck with that. 
And so as much as I hate preaching in an empty room, maybe this is a good message to preach just to a camera, nobody here to boo or heckle or to throw any objects. Not that I think that's gonna be necessary as we see what these words mean. I think we're gonna find goodness and grace in these words of God for us that will challenge us, yes, but also encourage us. But as we go into these verses to understand them, we gotta resist doing one of two things. First of all, to just chalk up these words uh, as, as a byproduct of a primitive patriarchal worldview. You know, in, in the day they were written, it was a patriarchal worldview. Like men had higher value than, than uh, women did. Like it, it took the, the, uh, the testimony of two women to equal the testimony of one man. Each one of them counted for kind of half a man. That's just how they viewed uh, gender in this day, but we can't just chalk this up to kind of a patriarchal worldview. For uh, Paul, the same Paul that wrote these words, wrote Galatians three verse twenty-eight when he said, "In Christ, there is now no rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, male or female; all are one in Jesus Christ." Now, what Paul isn't saying there is that there's no difference between men and women. There's no distinction between what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. But whatever those differences are. Men and women have an equal worth. They have an equal dignity. Not, one is not advantaged over the other in relationship with God. They have equal worth. So um, even in the life of Jesus, we see this. John chapter 4, the very first person that Jesus reveals his identity to as a Messiah. You know who it is? It's that woman, that Samaritan woman at the well. A woman, a person that his Jewish disciples thought he should not have even been talking to as a man, and yet he chose a woman to reveal his identity to first. And the first people to be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, to encounter the risen Lord, they were women. They were women. And even uh, in, in the early church, one of the groups that gravitated towards the gospel and towards the church were women because they found in the gospel and in the church this elevated place. They found dignity. So we can't just write this off as a product of a patriarchal worldview. But, but on the other side, we can't just impose on these words kind of our Western modern worldview either. A, a worldview, you know, that kind of minimizes, tries to erode or maybe even erase any differences between men and women, manhood and womanhood. Uh, you know, we don't want to just hear ourselves in this text. We want to hear God. We're not interested in, in human wisdom. We want God's wisdom here. We, we, we want a biblical, not a primitive worldview, not, not, not a modern, we want a biblical world view. Okay, so what I want to do in our time together, I'm going to journey through verses 8 to 14 fairly quickly, and I want to settle most of our time on verse 15. Now, I'm not going to answer all the questions you're going to have about this text. Really, all I want to do is kind of steer you in the right direction. Kind of, I, I, I want to steer you away from going in the wrong direction, what these words are not saying, and I want to point you in the right direction. And I would say this, if after this message you have any follow-up questions, anything that remains confusing, by all means, reach out. You know, Darren and I, we love it when people engage with the message, when they call or text or email, uh, just with some follow-up uh, questions. We, we, we just love it when people engage seriously with the scripture. So we'd love to hear from you if you want to dialogue uh, about this afterwards. Okay, so let's just begin in verse 8. We'll, we'll move fairly quickly through verse 15. 
In verse 8, Paul says, um, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. So he addresses the men in the church first. I want them to worship God by lifting holy hands, not by anger or disputing. Why, why does Paul talk about anger and disputing? I, I think he's talking about, he's recognizing the nature of men. Like men, in our nature, we, we tend to vie for power and position. We, we tend to find our worth in position, in power, and, and that lends itself to anger and disputing. And, and Paul says, I, I, I want people, to, the men, to turn away from that and to worship God, lifting holy hands. And I don't think he has in mind that we're actually supposed to lift our hands in prayer, although they probably did that as well. But in the Bible, the hands represented our works, our good deeds. And so what he's saying is, I, I want the men to worship God with holy lives, with good deeds, you know, with acts of service to one another and, and not trying to find their worth in vying for power or position. So he dresses the men first and then he goes on to the women in verse nine. He says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, now it's not so cool in this day and age for a man to, to instruct women about how to dress, but, he, but he's really just saying something that's, I, th I think we can all understand here. You know, women then were really no different than women today, just as men in our nature maybe try to find our worth in power or position, women can try to find their worth in their appearance, you know, in their attractiveness, the way they look. And, and so what Paul is saying here is, is women, uh, don't try to find your worth, your value and your validation in the way you look. To try to attract attention to yourself in that way, instead find your worth in your service to God. Be devoted to God. Worship God, not by pursuing outer beauty, but, but by inner beauty, by the quality, not of your looks, but by the quality of your lives. Uh, you know, as a father of three daughters who, who were, who were uh, you know, helping become women, I, I'm keenly aware of the pressure that there is in this day and age on women, especially young women and girls, to present themselves a certain way, to look a certain way, to be a certain shape to dress a certain way and, and to try essentially to find their worth, their value and validation in the way they look. But I would just want to say to everyone, especially to those young girls and, and young women, okay, your worth is not found in the shape of your body, in the way you look or the way you dress. You know, Paul is saying it's not the purse you carry that matters. It's, it's the kind of person that you are. Pursue inner beauty, a life devoted to God. Um, pursue a good life, not just good looks, essentially, is what Paul is saying there. Okay, let, let's move kind of quickly here. And then in verse 11 and 12, he says, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Hmm. Now there's a few words there. That, that I want us to understand. The, the, the first is the word quiet. We hear that word quiet there twice. Your version might say silence, that women are to be silent. Now, I have some friends in a different 
church and, and their understanding of this verse, and they take it very seriously, is that women shouldn't talk in church. And so when they have their service together and they take communion, they arrange themselves in a circle. And in that service, the men speak, but the women are not permitted to speak because of how they understand these words. But, but is that what Paul is saying here, that women should not speak when you gather in church? Well, I don't think so, because look a few verses earlier. In, in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. That's instruction for everybody in the church, men and women, young and old. Live peaceful lives, peaceful and quiet lives. Live, so that's that same word, live a quiet life. He's not saying take a vow of silence and never utter a word. No, he's talking about a certain spirit, carrying yourself with a certain spirit, kind of a quiet spirit. So in this context, what Paul isn't saying is don't talk. What, what he's saying here to women, uh, particularly in this instance, is have a spirit that respects and honors the leadership that God has, has given, has entrusted to the men, uh, that he has called to oversee the church. So, so to live a quiet life, to be quiet means to, to not speak in a way that compromises or undermines or demeans or diminishes the authority or the leadership that God has given to the, uh, to the leadership in the church and in the home, to the men uh, in, in, in the uh, church and to the husband in the home. So that's what that means by quiet, okay? It's talking about a spirit, not that you don't say any words. And then another key word there is teach. He, he says to the women, he says, um, learn, but don't teach. Now, this, again, is not a blanket pro- uh, prohibition on, on teaching, not at all, because at other times, we have the instruction for women to teach and to train, okay? So, so just as there was a certain kind of talking that Paul had in mind, so there's a certain kind of teaching that Paul has in mind here. And he, and he says that, that women are not to teach as one exercising authority over a man. What does that mean? That women are not to teach in a way that exercises authority over a man. Now, now maybe we're just to understand this kind of w- within, within the cultural context of that time and that place. You know, women had been emancipated uh, in, in their lives before they came into the church, many of whom had received no education, uh, no learning because they were women. And so maybe what Paul is just saying is, women, before you get to that point where, where you're not able to teach, you just need to learn. You need to kind of catch up. You haven't had all that opportunity. Learn first, and then at some point, maybe you, you can teach. Is, is that what he's saying here? Is this just kind of a cultural context? Well, it, it doesn't necessarily appear so because Paul, as you continue, roots this instruction in God's created design, in his created order because Paul now goes back to the beginning when God created man and woman, right? The first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve. He says in verse 13 and 14, he says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And, and Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now that begs a few questions. What does it mean that Adam was first and Eve was second? What is he getting at there? And what does he mean when he says that Adam 
wasn't deceived, but Eve was deceived. Are, are women more susceptible to deception? Are they just kind of not as smart? Like, what does this mean? And those are really good questions of the text here. And I think we can only understand what he's saying if we actually go back to the story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And as we do, we're, we're going to find that, that when he uh, talks about Adam uh, being made first before Eve, he, he's not suggesting that, that Adam and man is superior. He's not talking about superiority when he says Adam is first. He's talking about responsibility. Not superiority, but responsibility. Both we find are created in God's image, right? God made mankind in his image. Male and female, he created them. Each one bears God's image in kind of a unique way. Manhood and womanhood that together kind of have the, the, the completion of the, the, the nature of God. Both are equally made in God's image. But if you look at the way God created in Genesis chapter 2, we find that God creates man. He creates Adam. And after he creates Adam, he gives a command to Adam. He says, now listen, I've made this whole garden for you. You can eat of any tree here except that one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not eat from that tree or you will die. So God gives this one instruction to Adam. And then right away after that, God makes the woman, Eve. And so we see this order, man, instruction, Eve, which is kind of interesting. You might have expected man, woman, instruction, but it's man, instruction, Eve. And so I think what we're to understand is, is one of the responsibilities that God gave to Adam, to, to the man, was he, he entrusted to the man the instruction then to give to the woman that he would make, right? So he entrusted him with this responsibility for the, ins- for the instruction of his word. All right, and then in Genesis chapter 3, you probably know the story. The serpent comes, Satan, right? And it says that the serpent was more subtle than any other creature. And so the serpent came to the woman and tempted the woman. And so there's a few things that are kind of interesting in this story. First of all, that Satan, because he was subtle, goes and he speaks not to Adam, he speaks to the woman. That's the first thing we need to note. He doesn't speak to the man. But the other thing we need to note in the story you find in chapter 3, verse 6, is that Adam is right there. He's not in another corner of, of, of the garden. He's standing right beside his wife, hearing and seeing everything that's happening. He is right there the whole time. And so Eve takes, she eats, she gives to her husband Adam. He takes and he eats. And then we find that God comes uh, in to, to look for them for an accounting of what's happened. And, and who does God come looking for? He comes looking for Adam, right? First, and he comes to the man and he says, where are you? What have you done? And so God comes looking for Adam first. So w- what are we to make of that? Is, is a, a woman more susceptible to, uh, to deception than to a man? Like, what, what does Paul mean when he says that the, Satan, that the serpent deceived Eve and not Adam? I, I don't think that what Paul is saying is that women are more susceptible to deception than men. There are probably ways in which men are more susceptible, certain types of deception, and women certain types, or some things that women might generally be weaker in, and things, other things that men generally are weaker in. But I think this is what Paul is getting at here. He's saying Adam was not deceived, that is, Adam was not approached by the deceiver and did not carry on direct dealings with the deceiver. 
But the woman was deceived and became a sinner in eating, just as Adam became a sinner in eating. But the woman was deceived in that she was the one who took up dealings with the deceiver and was led through her direct interaction with him into uh, deception and into sin. So w- w- what, is, what is Paul getting at here? He's not saying man is, is undeceivable and woman is more deceivable. His point is that um, when God's order of leadership is repudiated, when, when the complementary nature, the unique responsibilities that God has given to men and to women in his good design, in the created design, when that complementarity in his design is disregarded, damage happens. And I think what Paul is getting at here is that God has entrusted to men, he has given to, to men in the home and in the church the responsibility to lovingly lead and to initiate the well-being of their house. Okay, that is their responsibility, which is why he says in Ephesians chapter five, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you're supposed to love your wives and lead them like Christ does the church. And how did he do that? Sacrificially, not selfishly, not, not in a controlling, domineering, what I have to gain sort of way. He lay, his, his leadership was a servant leadership. It was selfless and sacrificial. He laid down himself for the church. And husbands, men, in the home and in the church, we're to lay down our lives in servant leadership for our families, for the church. That is a responsibility that God has given to, the, to, to, to men to initiate and protect the well-being of our families, to be the moral Guardian, And the problem was Adam forsook that responsibility. He was passive. He didn't do it. He stood there and did nothing. Okay? He didn't do what he was supposed to do. So I guess the question, I know it's not Father's Day, but men, I mean, what about you in your home? Are you taking up that responsibility to, to lovingly, selflessly, sacrificially lead your family? There's a lot more that could be said there. But that leads us now to verse 15. When, uh, after talking about the responsibility then of, of the men to provide this sort of leadership in the home and in the church, uh, Paul says in verse 15, Women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Women will be saved through, in in what way does childbirth save a woman? That that really is the question kind of of the the sermon. What does that mean? Does that mean that a woman is saved from her sin and made right with God, reconciled with God by having babies? Well, certainly not. The Bible says over and over again that we are reconciled with God we are forgiven of our sin and we have received the gift of eternal life. We become Christians, not through our own works, but through putting faith, our faith in what Jesus has done, his perfect work on our behalf. That, that, that's the only way to be saved, not by our works, but by trusting in Jesus' work. So obviously this doesn't mean that a woman goes to heaven by having babies, okay? Obviously. Well, well does this mean that, that motherhood then maybe is, is the mark, is kind of the marker of spiritual success 
in life for a woman, like that that's her number one purpose. That's her number one duty. You know, there, there were people that thought that way. You look in the Old Testament, the, the, the greatest curse for a woman was barrenness, the inability to bear children. Like that was, that was the worst curse. Why? Because that was, that was failure. Her number one purpose, duty, goal was to have children, right? To have a family. Is, is that what this means? That like that is the number one marker of spiritual success to be pregnant and barefoot in the kitchen? <laughs> well, fortunately, women, the answer is no, of course not. Because this St. Paul who's writing was a single man who elsewhere talks about the value of singleness and even encourages men and women who are single to, to see it as a calling. That's, that God is going to come call some people to devote their lives totally to God in singleness. And that's a good thing, right? And so he's not saying that the number one purpose and goal for a woman is to bear children. Singleness has value, spiritual value, because our lives are about being devoted to God. So what does this mean then? Saved through childbirth. Now that word saved I mean, it has quite a wide semantic range. It just doesn't mean like going to heaven, okay? It can mean being rescued from danger, being preserved from error, being kept from uh, corruption. It can mean a variety of different things. And I think what I want us to see in this statement here, Paul, is, is just a couple of layers. I think there's, there's a couple of things going on here. Uh, and to kind of see that first layer, we've got to go back to Genesis chapter 3. Just after man and woman has fallen into sin and God has come for an accounting. And he kind of pronounces judgment uh, on mankind and on the serpent. We find this in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Now God is talking to the serpent. He says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And he, that is the offspring of the woman, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, in church history, this has been called the Proto-Euangelion, which is, is Greek. That means the first gospel. Here we have the first glimpse about God's plan for redemption. And, and what does he say first about this plan to reverse the curse of sin, to restore relationship with God? He says it's going to involve offspring from the woman offspring from the woman. And so, Paul in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 says this, in fulfillment of that promise back in Genesis 3.15. Paul says, Galatians 4.4, he says, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent his son. God enacted his uh, plan of salvation through a woman. Now just think of that. Just think of what that means, that God's plan of salvation required a mom. That's what that means. That, that, That a mother was an essential worker when it came to God's plan for salvation. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever really thought of Mary's role in this? How amazing it is that God, in saving the whole world, needed a mother. 
And so he comes to this woman, just an ordinary woman, devoted to God, a young woman named Mary. And um, he places God the Son within her womb where it grows for those nine months. Isn't that incredible? That God entrusts himself and entrusts his plan of salvation to a mom, to a woman. Without Mary, without a mother, there is no salvation. Because without Mary, there's no Jesus. In order to be saved, Jesus had to become, like the Bible says, one of us. He had to be made like us in every way. He, 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 had to, he had to live the total human experience and experience all our temptations. He had to start as an embryo and grow and be born and be nursed and be nurtured and be raised and be taught and trained so that he could become a man so that he could die on the cross for your sin. Okay? He had to be born. Salvation needed a mom in order to have a perfect savior who could perfectly account for our sin. God entrusted himself to a woman. And so at Christmas, we, you know, we sing that God abhorred not the virgin's womb. I, I think that's pretty remarkable. I, and I've never really thought about it that way. God's plan of salvation required a mom. And, and Mary wasn't just a, a rent a womb, so to speak. You know, just a surrogate. Hey, you do your thing for nine months and they give me that baby. She wasn't just a womb for God. Like, when Jesus was pushed out of her body in pain and agony, he didn't just go, all right, thanks a lot, Mary. I can take it from here. No, Jesus was just this helpless little baby like any other who needed constant care. Diapers being changed so many times. Crying through the night. Needed to be consoled. Needed to be comforted. Needed to be nursed day after day, month after month, year after year. Okay? Needed, to be, needed to be fed. Needed to be clothed. And so Mary, over those years, does the work of motherhood, right? She raises and nurtures and trains and cares for and nurses Jesus. Like, how important was that role? Like, how important was that? I mean, she could have neglected all of that, and then what would have happened? No salvation. And, and, and it would have been hard for me. I don't think, it, it, it was just a, a, a normal experience normal mom with with all the good the bad and the ugly that that came from that in raising jesus you know but but others would have seen mary and jesus and just seen a run-of-the-mill mom but mary knew she didn't know exactly her son was he was god the son but she knew that he was a very special person had a special place in god's plan mary knew that and i'm sure that was she was keenly aware of that and she reminded herself of that often through the trials of motherhood that what she was doing was very significant. Can you imagine kind of the importance that that would have brought to her work that she was in nursing and nurturing and feeding and clothing and changing and training this baby and this little boy that she was raising the Messiah. What, what importance would have that have brought to, to all of the mundane things that came with motherhood. I mean, to me, as I think of that, I think, wow, that just really elevates the importance of motherhood. God needed a mom to bring salvation into the world. I think that's one way of God saying, hey, motherhood is important. It's important. 
And so when we hear that women will be saved through childbirth, I think that's the first thing we might hear there, right? Like that, that it was the childbirth of Jesus that God needed and used motherhood to bring salvation, to, to save us, to save us from our sin. So I think that's one layer there, but then there's another layer. I don't think Paul is just talking about the childbirth, that one mom and that one child. I think he's talking about women and childbirth in general, and, and not even just childbirth, but what childbirth represents. You know, there's a figure of speech called a synodoke, synodoke, which just means when you use a part to represent a whole. So if you were to say, all hands on deck, or would you give me a helping hand? The hand, it doesn't just refer to a hand. The hand refers to the whole of the body and the whole of their work, right? All hands on deck, give me a helping hand. The part represents the whole. And I think that's what's happening here when he says, women will be saved through childbirth. What does childbirth represent? It's more than just giving birth to a child, right? Childbirth is the one distinctly female thing. Men cannot do this. No matter what they try to tell you in 2020, men cannot have children, okay? This is something that God has designed women for in their bodies and in their nature to bear children. So this is the distinctly female thing. And so childbirth here, I think, represents... um, Everything that, count, that goes into raising a child, rearing a family, it kind of represents the domestic life. I think that's what Paul is getting at here. It represents the domestic life, the domestic responsibility. What Paul is saying is that a woman will be saved from deception by embracing the role that God has given them in this way, in this, we might call it the domestic realm, not resisting it, but seeing it as sacred and significant, a calling and a role that God has entrusted to women. They will be saved from deception when they embrace the sacred, significant role. Now, what is this deception that they are saved from? Well, I think that deception is, is, is for women to find their true significance and worth Outside the house, like the, like true significance, true worth, true value and valida- validation has to be found outside the home, you know, in the marketplace, in the workplace. Um, the, the deception is to think that the home is the lesser thing and out there is the greater thing, okay? Like just as Paul had said earlier that true significance in value is, is not found in the outer appearance, but in the inner beauty of one's life. I think what he's saying here too is that women's true value and worth doesn't have to be found on the outside, out there in the workplace. That can be found in the home. So there's a couple things that I'm not saying and Paul isn't saying here. Um, just as Paul wasn't saying uh, a person can't wear makeup or nice clothes or do the hair. That's not what Paul meant. He, he meant not to find one's worth in that, okay? So just as Paul didn't mean to say that you couldn't wear wake, makeup and nice clothes and have a nice hairdo, so Paul isn't saying here that it's wrong to have a career, okay? Many of you, you're working women. My wife, she's nearing the end of her one-year full-time course and then she's gonna become a counselor and she's gonna open up Uh, her own practice and start her counseling career later this year and we're really excited about this 
you know, she, she's raised these girls and kind of dressed themselves now, and um, uh, she's kind of thinking what, what, what next, and, and, and she feels like God is calling her to this, to this career, to this ministry, and we think that's a calling from God, and I'm excited about uh, what that's going to look like. So what, what Paul isn't saying here is that it's wrong, obviously, to have a career or to work outside the home. Not at all, not at all. And what he's also not saying is that a woman has to have children in order to do what, in order to be significant. Okay, in order to do what God has made them to do. That's not what Paul is saying either here. Some of you, you're not married and you don't have children yet or maybe ever. Um, you, you don't have marriage and, and, and motherhood. Um, and so what this doesn't mean is that because of that, you can be any less devoted to God or make any less of a difference. Of course, not at all. But I think what we are being reminded of in these words is that for those that God has called it, for, the, for those women that God has called into marriage and motherhood, the, um, the world today says uh, that a woman makes something of herself out there. Like there's this pressure out there. I see it, I hear it, I'm sure you women do as well, that there's this pressure to be productive, to be something, to make something of yourself, aka out there, career job. That's the thing that's truly important, truly of value, truly of significance. That's where you have to find value and validation out there. And you know, so in today's day and age, some even speak of all that comes with childbirth, like the way God has made a woman's body as like a burden instead of as a gift, right? Like, like the, having menstruation, having a period, and then menopause later in life. And then when you have a baby, you know, the impact that has on your body and then nursing and all that comes with being a woman, being designed by God to be able to do this incredible thing to play this role. That's even looked at today kind of as as a, a negative, like that's an obstacle to a significant life, right? That, that's, a bad, that's a burden instead of a blessing. I hear about it spoken like that. And, and we should never think about all those things as baggage. They're not baggage. They're not burdens. All those things can be heavy to carry. They are blessings and callings from God. God has made women for this incredible role. He's designed their bodies to do this this superpower to like make, carry, deliver, and then feed a human being. And not just their bodies, but in, in their very nature as women. Like I, I'm, as I watch Erica and other women too, I'm just, I'm just amazed by the, 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 the nurture and the care and the, and, the, and the comfort and kind of that ability to emotionally connect and console that I just don't have the kind of the, the ability to do that, but I see that in my wife, how God has wired her to nurture and care and to raise kids, to grow human beings in body and mind and spirit. That's such important work. I think that's what Paul is saying is that's a sacred task. Mothers, you are essential workers. I, I think it's kind of even interesting as we think about Paul and Timothy, if you go to the second letter that Paul writes to Timothy, first, second Timothy, he begins that letter by saying in second Timothy one, verse five, 
Uh, he says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives also in you. He talks about how he got his faith from his mom, Eunice, and from his grandma, Lois. And what you find in the book of Acts chapter 16 is Timothy had a Jewish mom who was a believer, a Christian, but he had a Greek father who was an unbeliever. And so here, Timothy is as a young man, a pastor in this church. He got his faith from his mom, from her nurture, her care, her training. And so uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul says, or verse 15, um, how from infancy, Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures that have made you wise for salvation. From infancy, Timothy, you've known the scriptures. How? Because your mother, Eunice, and your grandmother, Lois, they taught it to you. They nurtured your faith. They showed you what it meant to follow God, right? That was the work of the mother. And Timothy was who he was because of the work of the women in his life, because of the work of his mother. You know, there's a a movie called The Big Fat Greek Wedding, which some of you will know. When I was newly married with Erica, uh, we didn't have cable We just had a DVD player. We only owned one DVD and it was My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So we watched that movie so many times. But I remember a line in there where they're talking about uh, uh, men and women. And and one woman says, let me tell you something, Tula. The man is the head, but the woman is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants. (laughs) The man might be the head, but the woman is the neck. She has the ability to turn the head any way she wants. I mean, that's certainly true. Paul is saying, in, in Timothy's life. Man, the woman, and, and I mean, obviously, a father has a very important role together with the wife, together as a team, raising children, but especially in those younger years, a lot of that burden and that nurture, nature, and care can, can fall on, on the shoulders of the woman, right? And, and what an important thing it is to, to, uh, to, to raise a human being that God entrusts to a woman, this, this little unformed disciple, this unassembled follower of Jesus. Hmm. When God gives you a child, he, he gives you that unformed, unassembled disciple of Jesus, puts it into your hands. And so I, I think what Paul might be saying here is something like this. Moms, you're not just changing diapers, you're changing destinies. You're not just, you're not just washing laundry and cleaning the floors and making three healthy, yummy meals a day. Man, that's hard work day in and day out to do the bulk of that work, raising and nurturing children. But, but Paul is saying, you're not just changing diapers, you're changing destinies. You are actually shaping who someone will become. And is there anything more important than that? Is there any more important work than that? I remember when I was in kindergarten, Southern Alberta, our kindergarten class was invited to go on this show, this TV show called The Buckshot Show. It was like one of those local television shows in Calgary. And I was so excited because we all watched The Buckshot Show and every, every episode he would have a class of kindergartners there. And one thing he would do is he would put the mic in front of each kid's uh, mouth and give them an opportunity to say their name, who they were. And so I remember being so excited to be on the show and, and, and before we went on set, my mom was with me in the bathroom there in the building and she was kind of wiping my face, doing my hair and she, I remember her saying to me this vividly, okay, remember your name is Rustin Arthur Hildebrand. 
Your name is Rustin Arthur Hilda. And I remember thinking and saying to my mom, it is? I didn't actually know my name was Rustin Arthur Hildebrand. I just thought I was Rusty. You're Rustin Arthur Hildebrand. So anyway, I got on this show and it came to my turn and the lights are on me and he puts the mic in front of my mouth and I just froze. I mean, look what I'm doing today. I'm like speaking in front of a camera, but I just froze. I couldn't say a thing. I couldn't remember my name. <laughs> and I still remember my mom from the audience kind of loudly whispering, your name is Rustin Arthur Hildebrand. And then I shared my name. And to me, as I think of that kind of funny little story, I think, yeah, that's the role of a mom. They, 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 they tell us who we are. They shape a person, right? They help them give and find their identity as a human being, as a follower of Jesus. Is there anything more important that mothering plays such a central role in the kingdom of God? Mothers, do you know that that's what you're doing? That's what you're doing. You're shaping someone. You're shaping destiny. Um, as we kind of bring this to a close here, there's just a, a quote from G.K. Chesterton. A hundred years ago, he wrote this great, great Christian author, thinker. I think this is quite profound. Let me just read this to you. He says, Can anyone tell me two things more vital to the race than these? What man shall marry what woman? And what shall be the first things taught to their first child? The daily operations surrounded her with very young children who needed to be taught not so much anything but everything. Babies need not to be taught a trade but to be introduced to the world. To put the matter shortly, a woman is generally shut up in a house with a human being at the time when he asks all the questions that there are and some that there aren't. Our race has thought it worthwhile to cast this burden on women in order to keep common sense in the world. But when people begin to talk about this domestic duty as not merely difficult but trivial and dreary, I simply give up the question. For I cannot with the utmost energy of imagination conceive what they mean. If drudgery only means dreadfully hard work, I admit the woman drudges in the home as a man might drudge at his work. But if it means that the hard work is, is uh, more heavy because it is trifling, colorless, and of small import to the soul, then I say, give it up. How can it be an important career to tell other, children's, other people's children about mathematics and a small career to tell one's own children about the universe? A woman's function is laborious, not because, because it is minute, but because it is gigantic. I will pity Mrs. Jones for the hugeness of her task, but I will not pity her for its smallness. <laughs> The hugeness of its task. Women, mothers, your work is hugely significant and sacred. I can think of nothing more valuable or productive than the work of a mother, which includes all the mundane as well. No matter what the world says, as Paul says, that's sacred, that's significant. There you will find great worth. There you will find great purpose. So mothers, kind of bringing this to a close here. Um, first of all, thank you for all you do and all you've done. Whatever age and stage of life you are, we celebrate you. And I, I just want to ask you, mothers, what difference would it make? I mean, some of you, you're young and you're dealing with tons of laundry and meals every day and baths and messes and it's tiresome. 
and it's heavy and you need help from your husband and others. Mothers, what difference would it make if you viewed that work not just as mundane, but as sacred work? Sacred work. I just encourage you, you mothers, as you carry this, this huge responsibility to, to ask God to help you see it that way. To, 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 see, to see the value of motherhood the way God sees it. Because I think few things go as undervalued, underrecognized, underappreciated, under-celebrated as the work of a mother. You know this, uh, just a couple days ago actually, Erica made this wonderful supper. Uh, tacos, guacamole was great. And, and uh, one of my girls really enjoying it and said, Mom, thank you so much for making us this meal. And then one, another one of my girls said, Duh, it's kind of part of her job description. <laughs> wow. It's kind of part of her. I wonder if sometimes that's just how we think, right? We don't give it a lot of notice, not a lot of recognition, right? It just part, comes with the job. It's kind of a thankless job, I think, very often. And so this is what I want to encourage you to do. Men, women, um, especially those of us who aren't mothers. Uh, what is it that you can do this week to recognize and to celebrate motherhood? Whether that's within your own home, your own family, or, or within the body of the church, or, or another mother, you know? What is it that you can do to recognize and to celebrate motherhood? How can you show, communicate that value and that support in, in two ways both in words and in deeds okay how can you in words this week recognize and celebrate motherhood maybe that's just um, reaching out and, and just giving an encouraging word calling and praying for someone asking how you can help right I, I, I think mothers are so hard on themselves no one is harder on themselves than moms they need to be encouraged they need to be affirmed. They need to be helped. So with words, church, what's some way with words that you can uh, value motherhood? And then not just with words, but with deeds. What is one way this week that you can help lighten the load for a mom, whether it's your wife, whether it's your mother, whether it's someone in this church, maybe a new young mother or someone you know, this week, how can you help lighten the load through action, okay? So, so, so that's your homework, church. How can you celebrate motherhood and, um, through, through both word and deed uh, this week? Because, my gosh, motherhood is important. God says so. God says so. Um, so, just in a moment, uh, we're, we're just gonna... See some of us here in the church kind of sharing our love and our affection, why we love our mothers before the team closes us with uh, one final song. Uh, and then just enjoy the rest of your uh, Mother's Day. Honor your mothers well. Uh, but before we see that little video and before we worship with one final song, why don't we just pray and uh, just commit ourselves uh, to God as we go forward into this week. Let's pray. Father God, we see even in your plan of salvation how important motherhood is to the kingdom of God. So we thank you for your wisdom, Lord, in, in creating the family, in making motherhood and forgiving us mothers. God, we thank you for our moms, um, all they've done for us, all they do for us. I just pray for all the moms right now, Lord, that are listening, uh, Lord, that you would just give each one a renewed sense of, of uh, purpose and significance 
in their task, Lord, that you would just sustain them as they carry this huge responsibility. And for the rest of us, Father, might you just show us how we can uh, support the mums in our lives uh, this week and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, why don't you stand and join with me in reading the all caps. We are the church, so wherever you go, Christ goes. If someone asks, what is your church like? Let's tell them, I am what my church is like. If someone asks, what does your church do? Let's tell them, I am doing what my church does. We are the church, and we may be the only contact that someone has with Jesus this week. So though they may not yet belong to the church, we can bring the church to them. I love my mom because she has long talks with me. I love mommy because she loves me. I love my mom because she's always the same. She always is so warm and welcoming and is always excited to hear about everyone's day. I love my mom because she's like my best friend and I feel like I can talk to her about anything. I love my mom because all my life she has loved me unconditionally. She is now 101 years old and she is still a very important part of my life. And I'm so thankful that I can now care for her. I love my mom because of her unconditional love for me. She always seems to be proud of me. I love my mom because she's like a best friend and she's always there for me. My mom is the best mom. She makes the best cookies. Because I love her. Mom, because you take me to work. I love Mom because she plays games with me. I love my mom because she is so selfless. She takes pride and joy in helping others become the best that they can be. I love my mom because she wants to and stays home with us. I love my mom because she. I love my mom because she is caring and a listening ear and she is a wonderful gardener and musician. And we all love my mom because she has the nicest buns. I love my mom because she's very understanding and loving. I love my mom because we share the ability to laugh together and have a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Rusty, for that uh, powerful message. Why don't we all join together and sing one last song together.
for joining us today. Uh, happy Mother's Day. Go and have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday.